Greetings of love this morning in the name of Jesus. Someone that we should all know and have a relationship with, something we all have in common as the people of God is to know Jesus and to love him and to serve him and to want to honor him in all that we do. This morning I would, I've entitled the message, Forward by Faith. And I take this message from the book of Hebrews, which um, I was teaching for the three weeks of Bible school, and so uh, kind of continuing the momentum there. And so the scriptures and the thoughts that I want to share this morning are basically taken from the book of Hebrews. I want to talk a little bit about inertia. And um, there was quite a controversy on the laws of motion uh, through the centuries. And finally, uh, Isaac Newton came up with this what is known as the first law of motion states that an object at rest will stay at rest or an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed, the same direction, unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Objects tend to keep on doing what they're doing. In fact, it is the natural tendency of objects to resist changes in their state of motion. All you have to do is uh, be in a car when the brakes get slammed on and see what happens. Uh, unless you're buckled in, you might hit the windshield because you want to keep on moving. That's inertia. And uh, um, so this the tendency to resist changes in their state of motion is described as inertia. Inertia, the... Um, uh, dictionary definition is the resistance to an, the resistance an object has to change in its state of motion. So, um, say for instance, um, according to uh, the first law of motion, if we have a ball here, and uh, if there's no resistance at all. I don't have a very good marker here. Let's see if I can find one that actually works. If there's no resistance at all, this ball, if it is uh, dropped, will end up equal height on the other side. The only thing that keeps it from not ending up there is um, friction or gravity. And so, um, if you change the angle here to maybe less of an incline, uh, that's not uh, uh, quite the way I wanted it to turn out, but if you change the incline to less steep, the ball will end up the same height, but it has traveled further. And so the less inclined, the further it will go before it 
stops unless there is a, um, an unbalanced force that, uh, or friction that causes it to stop before it gets there. That's why you can shoot an object into uh, outer space and it keeps on going um, indefinitely because there's no resistance. As long as it doesn't come under the influence of a heavenly body like the sun or some other planet, it will keep on going indefinitely. There's nothing to stop it. And that's, uh, that's what we're dealing with when we talk about inertia. And so um, in our uh, spiritual life, when I talk about going forward by faith, we're talking about um, resistance that affects uh, how fast and how far we go. And uh, this can be, uh, this uh, uh, can be both positive and negative. In our spiritual life, inertia can be either good or bad. It takes friction to either slow us down or to stop us from going in either direction. Um, in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says there, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So uh, he says continue in them. Is there a resistance in the continuing? Do we just automatically continue? Um, is there a force that is behind this ability to continue? Something that um, overrides the friction that causes us to, to uh, either slow down or come to a complete stop. What is that driving force? I think we have the answer in, um, in um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where it tells us there what keeps the ball rolling spiritually. He says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So in order to overcome the friction that slows us down, there needs to be a power that is working in us that will counteract the friction. And uh, the more friction there is, the uh, more tendency it is to slow down or to, to come to a stop. I don't know, uh, probably... Not too many of you have ever uh, bowled with a bowling ball. Um, but one of the things that they do on the, uh, on the floor of a bowling alley is the floor is waxed and, and uh, uh, treated to where there is very little friction or resistance. And... Uh, you throw the bowling ball and it doesn't even really start spinning before it reaches the end uh, because there is very little friction. But if, we were, if you were to take that same ball and, 
and uh, throw it here on the carpet, it wouldn't go nearly as far and it would start spinning because of uh, the increased friction that it encounters along the way. And so um, the reason I'm saying all this is because we do face a, um, an opposing force. We face friction that affects forward motion. And uh, one of the things that helps us to remain uh, in motion is that word faith, forward by faith. Um, in, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 3, verse 22, talking about uh, the, uh, the friction that can either be good or bad, um, and here in Jeremiah 3.22, it says, Return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Now, that is talking not only about coming to a rest or, or um, slowing down. It's talking about a complete turnaround, uh, what we would term repentance, uh, where he says, Return. Uh, stop going the way you're going and, and return and go back. Now, the book of Hebrews was written sometime uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem because the uh, Jewish practices were still uh, in effect. The temple was still standing. The sacrifices were still being made. The rituals and the ceremonies were still being performed there at the temple. <clears throat> and since I believe that the uh, book of Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul, who was executed in 67 AD, uh, that this, uh, this book was written probably just a few years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And if you uh, know the history of that period of time, the, uh, there was a tremendous tension between the Jewish zealots and the ruling Roman um, government. And more and more, the, uh, the Jews were uh, rebelling against uh, the Roman government and the, um, the religious zeal and the um, rebellious um, uh, spirit of the, uh, of the ruled people, which were the Jews, was, uh, had reached a... Uh, a high point of, of stress and tension until finally the Roman government said it's enough and they came in and uh, destroyed the city and the temple. So this, uh, this heightened nationalist and religious fervor among the Jews tended toward rebellion and calls to overthrow the Roman rule. And in this environment, it would have been a temptation for Hebrew Christians to get caught up in this religious fervor and in this spirit of rebellion. Um, and so um, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians to encourage them to continue faithful to Christian values and not to fall back into the Old Testament rituals and practices which had been fulfilled in Christ. 
Their focus was to be on the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and not on an earthly kingdom whose time had passed. And that's uh, the, the book of Hebrews is written a lot about that which was and that which is. And, uh, and uh, that which had been fulfilled in Christ. And where do we go from here now as, as Christians? Is there any correlation or similarity to what we may be facing even here today? As we look at the decadence of our society, as we look at the uh, direction of movement in our society today and in our government, and, and you know, it would be easy to get uh, kind of wrapped up in, uh, in uh, what we would consider a better way or solutions to the problems, uh, political solutions, social solutions, and those kind of things, uh, just as the Jews did back in the uh, end of the era uh, before the destruction of, uh, of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. But, you know, we are called into another kingdom. We are part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and just as Christians back there also needed to come to that place to recognize that uh, the temple and the city were not what they were called to be loyal to. And so um, history tells us that the Christians did flee from Jerusalem uh, before the destruction actually took place. And they fled across the Jordan River over into the area of what is today modern-day Jordan, Pella back then. And uh, so there were no Christians destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, and maybe partly due to the fact of this letter that had been written to them by the Apostle Paul. And so, uh, the, uh, for us, the pressures may be other things, but the tendency to cool off toward Christ and true Christianity is just as real and just as dangerous for our hope in Jesus. And our, uh, our faithful journey to that city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God, is uh, just as real. Um, and, you know, cooling off is something that happens naturally. Coming to rest is something that happens naturally. Uh, forward motion, uh, hampered by... by uh, the influences around us, the friction comes naturally, and we come to a rest. And, uh, and uh, not only do we come to a rest, but there is the danger of rolling backwards and actually uh, becoming backsliders. And so um, in this message this morning, I, uh, I want this simply to be a... A, uh, a building of an awareness. It's not uh, necessarily uh, uh, intended for criticism, but it's a building of awareness so that when we are faced with these pressures that will slow us down spiritually or cause us to come to stop and affect our forward motion, that we recognize the signs and say, hey, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that way. 
but uh, we want to uh, maintain our fervor for the kingdom that we are a part of and to advance the cause of Christ in it. Now, as we look at the book of Hebrews, the first word that you see is God. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made, by whom also he made the worlds. Now the fact is that God was and God always will be or will have the last word. God always will be in total control. Nothing ever takes him by surprise or catches him unprepared. God is the creator. <clears throat> and we have that here in verse 2. He says, uh, he's talking about Christ here as co-creator with God, by whom also he made the worlds. And then down in, <clears throat> in verse um, 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. And then we have another reference over in Hebrews 11 uh, that talks about God as creator. Um, in verse 3, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The laws of physics do not change. You know, God, when he created the world and he made everything visible and invisible, uh, we don't see gravity. That's an invisible force. But the laws of physics do not change. They are dependable. They always do what they were designed to do. They don't change. And that's something else that we need to become aware of. And that is that God's principles don't change either. It doesn't matter what society around us is doing, what everybody else is doing, what other churches are doing. It really doesn't matter. It does not affect the the fact that God's principles do not change. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to uh, accept it and live accordingly. From the beginning and throughout the Old Testament era, God was in control. God had a plan, and he made that plan known through multiple means and by multiple people. He says uh, here at sundry times, in divers manners, spake he in time past unto the fathers. And so uh, multiple ways in which God made known his plan um, to mankind. And finally, he confirmed that plan and presented it in, complete, in the complete and perfect person of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. No longer prophets, no longer uh, other, other methods and means, but by his son, he has spoken to us in these last days. And, uh, and that's an important point here. And so uh, 
Now comes the first warning against cooling off or even backsliding there in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And I'm just going to make a quick trip here through the book of Hebrews and pick out uh, these because it seems to be a theme that the Apostle Paul is, is uh, addressing uh, for a specific period of history and also to, uh, uh, for all time. So here in, verses, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, because Jesus spoke, because he sent his son um, here in these last days and spoke to us through him, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So here now we have this uh, warning against cooling off or backsliding. There in... Uh, uh, in verse 1 where he says, uh, lest at any time we should let them slip. What does he mean by that? Um, as I check the, uh, the Greek meaning of that word, uh, I think it could be correctly translated to say, lest we drift away from them. Uh, lest we move away from the, from the word that was spoken to us by Christ. Uh, the original Greek word there, I can't pronounce it, something like pererumamen, means to be carried downstream past a fixed landing place and so to fail to gain its security. And so, um, uh, in other words, there's no anchor. There is, um, uh, there is a, a, a secure landing spot, but we drift past it. And... Uh, and we uh, find ourselves uh, moving away from, from the truth that Christ taught. A Christian can drift away in a lot of different ways. And here's just a number of them that I have here. Uh, ways in which a Christian can drift away from that anchor point, that landing spot, that place of security. Uh, Number one is by failing to have a fixed standard of holiness based on Bible principle. And remember that Bible principle, principles of God do not change. If your standard is a slide rule tied to fashion and current trends, you will drift. Losing your first love for Christ, less fervent in personal worship and zeal for service. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, here are... A while back, my son Jonathan gave me a, uh, a thing for uh, keeping my coffee hot in the morning. You know, I, uh, when I am having my, I usually fix a cup of coffee before I sit down for my personal uh, devotions. And, and I would sit there and I would get wrapped up in what I was reading and thinking and, and I'd forget all about my coffee. And here was a coffee cup, three-fourths full and cold. And so, uh, you know, it just had to get dumped down the drain. 
So he gave me this thing that I can set my coffee cup on, and I switch it on in the morning, and, and if I forget to drink my coffee, it's still hot when I think of it. And uh, in fact, uh, just the other morning again, when I was studying for this message, I, I got involved in here, and here was my coffee cup half full on my desk, and it was cold. And uh, I had to start over again. <clears throat> but that is, uh, that's our natural tendency. Unless there's a source of power uh, to keep us uh, fervent, to keep us hot spiritually, we're going to cool off. The tendency is to cool off. And we need to find ways of counteracting that tendency so that we can stay hot for Christ, that we don't cool off. It's, uh, and that's something that we should all be able to relate to. Um, I can relate to it. I find myself coming times when, when my fervor and my zeal isn't what it should be and what it once was. And we need to recover ourselves from those things. That's, uh, that's something every Christian deals with. Losing our first love. Um, losing compassion and concern for the lost, for evangelism, for missions, visitation, and things that we can do to uh, be an encouragement to those around us. Another one is uh, being, by being educated away from belief in Bible doctrines. And you know, uh, there's so much literature available today. You can be a good Christian without the traditional baggage of, uh, of a Bible-believing, Bible-obeying church. And you can still be a Christian. You don't have to have all that baggage, they claim. You can be educated away from belief in Bible doctrines, following instead the worldly wisdom, professional ambitions, humanism, and cultural norms of our society. And we're, we're faced with those pressures. That's a friction point um, to be culturally adapted. Um, one example would be the Christian salutation, the holy kiss. That's not something that's uh, very cultural in society. And it's something that we ha it's commanded in Scripture. It's one of the seven ordinances that we believe and uh, claim to practice. But it's one of those uh, pressure points. It's an area of friction. It's not culturally correct in society. And so do we keep on or do we stop because uh, of that pressure? And that's what I mean by being educated away from belief in Bible doctrines. By growing cold and formal, replacing real spirituality with external religious activities and rituals and ceremonies without the inner life, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. You know, there's two ditches, one on each side of the road, and we can cool off and end up in either one of them. Another uh, indication or another symptom of drifting is being adjusted to compromise, convenience, self-will, tolerating backsliding, tolerating uh, envy and hatred, and these kind of things, uh, just becoming a, port, 
apart and excusable in, uh, in Christian life. And they are not to be excused. They are things that are serious. They will take us away from God. And so let's not become acclimated to those things and think, well, that's just normal. Another indication is neglecting prayer, church attendance. Repentance and confession of sin is no longer predominant or necessary in taking personal responsibility for our actions. And the last one I have here is becoming addicted to such things as sports, music, politics, those things that can uh, get a grip on us. You know, we can, uh, we can become uh, very excited about sports and which team and who's winning and, and the players, and we know all about those things. And uh, uh, there's probably nothing, not too many things more worldly than professional sports. It'll take us away from God. Um, okay, now I want to just go through the, through the book of uh, Hebrews here quickly and share some of the warnings against going backward and not forward. So if you'll follow me through in chapter 3, verse 16, or verse 6 to 15, chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, said that they always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. For I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For if we are made partakers of Christ, we, if, for we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So the message here, and I'll just have to go through these all briefly, is hold fast. Not just halfway through, but to the end. Hold fast to the end. Um, you know, that's not popular today to hold fast. Popular thing today is change. Um, and then he talks about hardened hearts here. You know, how does my heart respond to correction? How does my heart respond to truth? Uh, is it difficult for me to accept? And if we continue to reject, uh, the result is hardened hearts. Okay, now we go to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let us, and there, here we have this uh, phrase here, let us. And he's speaking to us, to all believers of all time. We have this 13 times in the book of Hebrews. He says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering to his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. 
And so uh, he's talking there about coming short. And because they're... Um, the preaching was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. Well, how do we know it was not mixed with faith? Because they didn't obey. They didn't do it. Uh, they failed to, uh, to follow God's directive, and so they didn't make it into the promised land. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us again hold fast our profession. Now we go to chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, verse 12 uh, to the end. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, I asked my Bible school, or Bible school class if there is any such thing as stagnation, where you just stop and, not, and, uh, and there's no movement, you're just stagnant. And they all shook their heads, no, there is no such thing as stagnation in the Christian life. Either we're going forward or we're going backward. And, that's, and he's talking here about, uh, about spiritual maturity. You know, a, a baby can be a perfect baby. It can do everything that babies are supposed to do. Um, but if it continues to be a baby and it doesn't grow and doesn't develop and it keeps on doing what babies do, we have reason to become concerned. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about uh, coming to spiritual mat maturity. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, leads to perpetual immaturity is an unteachable spirit. When they should become teachers, they still need to be taught because they are not teachable. They're not learning. And an unteachable spirit uh, consigns us to perpetual immaturity. That's what he's saying here. In chapter four, in chapter six, then verse four. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to re to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now, if we look back um, in verse 1, he's talking there about laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, not repentance from sin. Dead works are different than wicked works or evil works. They are works that are done to um, somehow uh, affect our salvation. And so uh, he's saying, don't depend on those dead works, but on the things that, if we look over here in verse 9, he says, Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. There are works that accompany salvation. He goes on by saying, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, 
which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And so um, those works that accompany salvation are the kind of works that he's talking about here in verse 10 and not in verse 1, what he calls dead works. Um, and in verse 11, he continues by saying, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Do these works, this work and labor of love, does it have any effect on our spiritual uh, maturity or our, our, or our salvation? The hope that he's talking about there to the end. Does it have any effect on it? Certainly, it does. The, uh, uh, Jesus teaching there in Matthew 25 about those who uh, visit the sick and fed the hungry and clothed the naked and all of those that teaches us the importance of it. Now we go to chapter 10, verse 20, 21. Chapter 10, verse 21. And I'll read on to 2327. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the, devour the adversaries. Okay, here again we have that thing of holding fast without wavering. Uh, this wavering thing, is that, uh, does that have a familiar ring? Is it really necessary? Is it really that important? You know, why don't we just let that go? Uh, but here it says, hold fast without wavering. What does he mean by that? He says uh, on down in uh, verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Cast it not away. We have need of patience. That means keep on. Don't give up. Don't, don't yield to the friction of the world or the pressures that come to bear. Uh, we have need of patience to continue on. Faith moves us forward. Doubt and unbelief stops forward motion. And especially when we care more about what man thinks than what God thinks. And now we go to chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him, Christ, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We're coming here to the, um, to the end of the warnings. 
but um, he says, lest you be wearied. Are we, does that uh, ring a bell? Or does that strike a chord in your life? Does in mine. You know, when, it, uh, when we are going against the tide, when we are resisting the friction uh, that is exerted on us by the influences around us, by the world around us, and uh, the forward push is hard, yeah, we do get weary. We, there's a temptation to, uh, to uh, just say, well, what's the use? Does it really matter? The, uh, the apostle is teaching us here that it does matter. In uh, chapter 12, verse 25, then, going back again to um, that original thought of uh, Christ, uh, God speaking to us through his son, he says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And Jesus laid down the, uh, the principles there for, for the new kingdom. In verse 28, he says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You know, the kingdoms of this world may rise and fall, but we belong to an everlasting kingdom that shall not be moved and that has no end. And uh, um, over here in chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, where it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And he's simply telling us here, expect opposition. Expect it not to be the easy way. The narrow road that leads to life is not the road that most people choose. We can expect opposition if we're going to go with Christ there to uh, suffer without the camp. Um, so, um, uh, I'm going to, uh, I have uh, some antidotes here or a cure for backsliding and drifting. And uh, since we've talked about a number of these scriptures already, uh, for lack of time, one of the things that he gives us as, a, as an antidote for backsliding is to encourage and exhort one another. And, uh, and that's what we should be doing. That's what I'm trying to do here this morning, is just that we exhort each other uh, and encourage each other to keep on, um, not get weary. And uh, another thing that we find is the need to draw near and stay close to God. Uh, when we feel ourselves moving away from God, we need to do whatever it takes to restore that relationship. Another thing we need to do is allow the Spirit to change us, to purge us, to prune us, and to empower us. The branch that doesn't bear fruit, he, he purges it. And the other branch that's bearing, or he cuts it off, but the branch that's bearing fruit, he purges it so that it will bring forth more fruit. 
Chapter 12 is very uh, full of that. And then also, uh, we are the blood washed, the sin cleansed saints, no longer in dead works, but immersed in kingdom building labors. Let us go on to perfection. He says there in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and he's talking about spiritual maturity. The word perfect in, uh, that was translated from the Greek can mean mature. And it's translated properly in the context of uh, chapter 5, verse 14, where it talks about them that are of full age. If we are drifting and backsliding, we are turning our backs on spiritual maturity, meaning fulfilling our God-given goals or purpose in life, that spiritual maturity. So uh, I'm going to conclude now with the uh, words here in chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Make you perfect, the God of peace, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Make you perfect. What does it mean? That uh, it can mean a couple of things. But one thing that it means is bring us to maturity. Make you a mature person that has his eyes wide open and that is uh, uh, seeking with all his heart to serve and please the Lord. Another thing that it can mean is that uh, we are imperfect individuals who are justified by faith in the blood of Jesus. And what does that mean, that word justification? What does it mean to be justified by faith in his blood? What it means is that, yes, we did sin. We were guilty. We deserve to die. But Jesus took our place, and he uh, made that sacrifice that we have a choice. And by faith in his blood, we can be justified, which means to be absolved of all guilt. You are free. There's nothing standing against you. There's not one sin that can be named against you if you're justified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And another thing that it means is uh, the thought of expungement. To If you ever were convicted of a crime, a felon or whatever, and it was uh, proven that you were falsely convicted, you can ask to be have your records expunged. And what that means is that they have to go through and all the records that uh, were going to follow you through life are erased. There's not a trace left in the records that you were a criminal or that you committed a crime. It's erased, it's gone. And that's what it means to be justified by faith in his blood. Uh, absolved of all guilt, the record's expunged, there's not a sign. We are completely saved 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by our own good works, but those works follow.